You're listening to the Embrace Family Recovery Podcast, a place for real conversations with people who love someone with the disease of addiction. Now here is your host, Margaret Swift Thompson. Welcome back to the Embrace Family Recovery Podcast. Episode 2 picks up with Janet sharing about the topic of resiliency. If you remember, Episode 1 left off with Janet having courageously set the boundary to have her son not return to their home and check into a treatment center he was not happy with. Let's return to Janet's story. And eventually hit settled then because he lost his phone privileges, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So then he didn't call you. He had to figure out the next thing. Yep. He, well, he'd take somebody else's phone or whatever he did. But the thing with that, Janet, that I think is so painfully scary when you're going yeah. through it is you forget their resiliency. Yes. And my resiliency, when he was on that bus trip, I didn't make any attempt to call him either. I just, you know, I just kind of let things happen because I just, I was done with fixing. I was just done. I just can't say that I'm not. Mm-hmm. I reached my limit. I was done. And I had a great sponsor who walked me through it. When he finally got to this re- recovery center, he didn't like it. He wasn't going to sign the papers. And so they put him to a homeless shelter. And he called me, wanted me to come pick him up. And we just said no. And my a big thing, too, is you want to be on the same page. My husband and I were on the same page doesn't work if one is going to, you know, intercede for the other. So we had, we're on the same page and we just let him stay. It changed his life. He stayed there two years, I believe. And from what I recall, he got skills for interviewing, resume writing, got a good job. He did. Yep, he did. And every one of those things, they're like, look at me go. I'm doing it. That's what he would do. He'd call me on the phone. He could only have his phone on Sunday at noon. So by 12.01, I'd get a phone call. He got his phone, he'd call me, and he'd be so excited. He got a job at Perkins. He's waiting on tables. He's making money. He just, you know, you could just hear it. You know, he was making friends within the system there. And, yeah, I could tell. He was just, he was getting better. But he couldn't come home for quite a while. Well, and I think it's really important to repeat what you said earlier, which was he couldn't come home because it wasn't good for me and my mental health, nor good for him. The way that I interpret that is for the family members, our drug of no choice is the person Mm -hmm. while theirs is the substance or behavior. And so when they're in front of us, it's a lot harder to practice our principles and our tools than if we have a little space, especially in early recovery. Right. And one of the things that I did that my sponsor had mentioned and I found really helpful, I had note cards that I would kind of remind myself about so that I wouldn't fall into that same, because he would say things that would trigger and I'd be like, oh, I got to save him. And then I'd look at my note card and then I'd get back in the right place. So I had those by my phone at all times. As you've heard, Janet mentioned triggers. This can be a new concept for family members. We have our own triggers. I'm aware my addict has triggers, but I do too. Yes, absolutely. Family members have triggers that catapult into fear. And then we react out of that fear. So you were triggered. Can you recall some of the triggers that were the most difficult Um, to navigate? Crying is a trigger for me. How about anger when he's angry? Oh, Oh, yes. And when he's in jail. You know, those are triggers. Unhappy. 
if he'd been drinking and he'd call me, that's a trigger. And in those moments, when triggered by all of those very real reasons one would be triggered, which are just amplified from living in this for a while, sure. what did you do? Use those note cards? I did use the note cards. And I would go back to the same thing. Think, you've done this before. And you know how this works. Don't fall back into the old habit. Or I would say, I will call you back later. That was another big one. Isn't it powerful to hear how Janet's use of recovery tools allows her to respond rather than react? Janet tells us about her own work in not being a victim and the tools that have helped her make healthier choices. Don't create a crisis, but don't prevent a crisis if it's a natural course of events. So for my son, I would watch him and I'd see things and I'd think, this is a natural course of events. He's going to learn from this, so don't. Don't get in there and get involved. So that helped me a lot, too. I use that a lot. Understanding the victim role. Tell us more. I have a choice. I never really realized how much a significant part that is in recovery. I get mad at whoever, and I think, well, what part did I play in this? And I made some decisions, too. So this doesn't always fall on my son. This doesn't always fall on my husband. I have a choice. Changed everything for me. The, the amount of freedom I felt. Well, I get so angry at my son. You know, I'd be thinking... I'm short on money, and I'd be mad at him because I'm paying for his rent. Right. It's not his fault. I made that choice. Nobody held a gun to my head. I wrote that check out. I mailed it. So I, I learned that I have a choice. I can say no, and I don't think I truly understood that, and I do now. Mm-hmm. So And say I have a choice. So I can be a victim and feel sorry for myself, or I can say no. And sometimes saying no has its repercussions. It's not always easy. I had to say no to my son one time, and he cut me off for three months. It was tough. But again, I had a great sponsor, and she taught me to write cards and that kind of thing, so I was in contact him. If you want things to be different, you need to know that. And having a choice made me feel powerful. And I think when we come in, we blame them for that sense of powerlessness. We do. I never really realized how much power I have. It's all up to me. If I just make that decision. And it's important to tell people listening that that is not an easy transition to make. It doesn't. It doesn't. Fear is probably the biggest fuel oh. to those old behaviors. Yes. And it's not that I don't have fear today. Of course there is. You know, you call your son or your loved one and they don't answer the phone. You start getting kind of crazy. The monkey chatter kicks in. Oh, yes. And your head starts running crazy. So in that moment, even today, this many years later, when that happens and that starts, mm-hmm. your go-to? Calling a sponsor again, or I would reach out to somebody else or something. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Can you relate to what you're hearing? Never miss a show by hitting the subscribe button. Now back to the show. Janet shares how addiction has impacted the other children in the family. It is amazing how each member of the family has their own individual response to this disease, as well as the perception that they hold for themselves being unique to them. She also talks about how the relationships have evolved. Well, the son that had the disease was my oldest. My uh, my middle child was at college when it was going on, so he actually really wasn't here to be part of it. So he didn't really see the things. But my daughter was a senior in high school, and it affected her. We've had long talks about it because she just saw me crying all the time. I'd be mm. in my bedroom with the door closed, talking to my sponsor and my sisters, crying. And she could, and she was trying to be the good girl, and she always was a good girl. But 
it was almost like she was trying to make up for mom's sadness. So she mm -hmm. could feel it in the atmosphere in the house, my anxiety, my sadness. And she just, I think I also kept a lot of it as a secret. So she saw me with my door holes in the bathroom. She could hear me crying. She could see that I was down and I just really didn't discuss it because I wasn't sure if I should talk about it openly or not. Right. And I, if I look back at it, I would have been more upfront about things. I mean, she was a senior, so she was, you know, she was not like in eighth grade or something. This right. was a year. She could have definitely handled it, but it would have, you know, the power is in the secret. So you leave that secret out there and she's just kind of wondering what's going on. And I, I felt bad to say anything wrong with her brother because then I thought she would hold that against him. Mm -hmm. I'm not doing him any favor. She's an adult. In a lot of ways, she can make up her own mind and ask her own questions. So we had a long talk later on, but I, I, you know, I kind of apologized to her for kind of ignoring her because that's what happens. You get so focused on the child that has the issues, you forget about everything else. And as long as she's a good girl and she's doing well, you just kind of forget about them. Right. And I regret that. So I had to make amends to her and just say, I'm really sorry that you got kind of left behind. But she had great understanding. Well, and the other piece that you bring up is one of the pieces of the journey we take as family members is also cleaning up our side of the street and making amends when necessary because mm -hmm. we make mistakes. We do. Yep. I kind of forgot about her because she was easy. As my far as my son in college, I just kind of let him know where things were at, but he really wasn't here for some of the drama and some of the stuff. He didn't see my reactions to things because he didn't come home much on the weekends. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And how is their relationship now as siblings? Oh, that's interesting that you bring that up. Because in the beginning, I was still a fixer. Mm -hmm. So when my son would come home, I would be telling the kids and the other two, oh, your brother's home. Go give him a hug. I don't do that anymore. It's their choice whether they want to hug their brother, if they want to talk with him or not. I don't have anything to say with that. Give them their own dignity. It's not all my them. to me. All of them. And they've all come to terms. Again, change that came through your recovery. Yes, it did. It did. All that. Respect people, respect your children. Yep. Give them the dignity of their journey. Mm -hmm. One of the components of recovery that many people struggle with is spirituality. Mm -hmm. And you having lost a child and then having another child go through this mm -hmm. and now facing your own health issues, if you're willing to share, all of those things are challenging beyond mm -hmm. belief. Mm -hmm. How have your spiritual journey evolved, changed? So I have brain cancer. How do I say it? There's more to life than just what I see on the outside. That's my personal faith and my belief. So just because, you know, things are bad, it's bad for a lot of people. It's not just me. So I know that I have a better place to go. And so I, I, I rest in peace with that. Do you think the spirituality component was difficult for you or pretty comfortable part of the program pretty comfortable part for me wasn't real difficult you know higher power works for me mm -hmm. thank heavens they wrote it that way is all i can say because yeah. that really includes yeah. anyone we yeah. find our way janet shares about the spiritual tool of gratitude and her ability to live her recovery in all areas of her life including battling cancer so speaking of the brain cancer yes I think you know how much I respect and admire your way of working through life with this program. And I believe that you emulate how it works in all areas of our life, not just around the person with the illness. Mm -hmm. Firstly, when did you get to a point of gratitude for the exposure to 12-step recovery? Yes. I tell him all the time, he is my gift. 
And I think for people new in this, I can't even imagine that. He helped me find myself. He helped you find yourself. He did. And you know what? I think of your cancer battle Mm -hmm. without this program. I can't imagine. I just can't imagine. And emotions are okay. People understand this is tough stuff. A level of acceptance that you couldn't have had without it. Absolutely. Without a doubt. And that same son has helped me tremendously. He's coming today. He just all the time. So a lot of changes within the relationship. Oh, a lot. One of my favorite mentors, Carolyn W., used to teach family members that their addict's recovery is none of their business. You can imagine the response she got. Janet shares very clearly the great value in learning to let go. We've never really talked about his disease. We've never gone into, I've never asked him questions. It's none of my business. Speak to that a little bit, Janet. You've never asked him questions about his journey in his illness and his recovery? No, I've always let him bring it up. I never ask him because I don't necessarily know if I really want to know. It's just none of my business. I remember one time my sponsor caught me. All his paperwork was in the back of our car, boxed some boxes of his tests and different questionnaires and writings that he wrote down. And I was at a store and I happened to open the hatchback to our car and I saw it and I started rifling through it. And I saw some things that were not fun to see. Mm. And I remember my sponsor saying to me, I told her about it, you know, she said, was it painful? And I said, yes. And she said, it should be none of your business, Mm. you know? So I just kind of stopped asking. I just, it's none of my business. If he wants to bring it up, that's great. Otherwise it is none of my business. But today, you know, he talks about little things and it just is amazing. Mm. Yeah. What a dignity you have afforded him in finding his path in recovery. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. It's true, Janet. That's the most baffling part of this. If we take our hands off of their journey and we stop being their higher power and we allow them their recovery, they gain what they need to be well. They do. It's so true. And I see it with his, just in his mannerisms and everything. And he truly has respect for me and I have respect for him. And it's just a wonderful place. And I think he feels good about himself. He's reclaimed his life and I reclaimed mine. I think to have you as my first guest was so easy to choose because I have such respect for your journey. Always have. You gave service. You've always been active in sharing your story to help other newcomers understand how hard it is and yet how much it's worth it. It is so worth it. It is so worth it. And with your diagnosis of cancer, as you've shared, Mm-hmm. The fact that you use the grace of these principles we've learned in recovery to navigate the powerlessness with which you are facing right. a potentially terminal illness. I am. But every day I wake up and I feel good. I have much to be grateful for. And I love the fact that I used to be part of that. I'm not so good because my left hand isn't real good. I got into a gratitude list. We have to bring 12 things down. And once you start getting into that, it really makes you really pay attention because I knew I had every day at the end of the day, I have to write 12 things down to be grateful. So 12, 12 things down. Yep. Every single day. So you start noticing that Eagle on the tree branch, you notice the beautiful skies, you notice the clear roads and there's no ice, there's no snow. It's just the little things. It's just that really nice cashier at the store, whatever it is, the ripe bananas, the food, just all the things you find little things to be grateful for. And I just have really appreciated that. That's helped me a great deal too. 
And did you learn that through recovery? I learned that from my sponsor. Yeah, gratitude. That trickle effect into every aspect of your life. Every aspect of my life. So I have much to be grateful for, even though I'm, this is a terminal illness that won't last forever. Sometimes I'm grateful for that because I have things coming up and I think, well, I won't even have to do it. I won't even be around for it. It sounds awful, but sometimes I think of those things. But, you know, you wake up and I don't have headaches. I have really no, I have great friends. I've had people that take me places, a lot of retired friends that drive me around. So I've rekindled those friendships and all that. So that's been wonderful. Another aspect I would assume was you already had established a pattern of letting people in to help you and asking for help. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That gets easier as time goes on because I am a fairly independent person. So it's a little difficult. I have a hard time with vulnerability. Yeah. So this has helped me to be a little bit more vulnerable. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You're amazing. Oh, thank you. Sorry. You really are. I just admire you and the way you work your program in every aspect of your life. And to be a little vulnerable also, when I heard of your diagnosis, I was angry. Were you? I was. Mm-hmm. I wanted that not to be your story. And yet I am so in awe of how your story with cancer mm-hmm. has just continued along the great path of... Mm-hmm. Self-care, acceptance, one day at a time, letting people help. Anything you want to share before we close the recording? Oh, this is more fun than I had any idea. This is really great. I really enjoyed this. Thank you, Margaret, for asking me to be part of this. You're welcome. Well, I honor you. I thank you. And I know this will help people. Oh, good. I hope so. I hope hearing Janet's story inspires you. Her joy is palatable even as she faces terminal cancer. Janet lives her recovery out loud. My hope to those listening, look for your community, your tribe. It is so much more painful and difficult doing this in isolation. Janet, I am honored to call you my friend, and I thank you for being my first guest on this podcast. Please join me next week when I speak with Glory, who is the daughter of someone with the disease of addiction. Please find resources on my website, embracefamilyrecovery.com. This is Margaret Swift Thompson. Until next time, please take care of you.